0: Hello? Brad, this is Zach Taylor at the Bengals.
1: Oh, Zach Taylor, how's it
2: going? I'm doing great, man. You want to come be a Bengal?
0: Oh, absolutely. All
2: right, we're going to draft you right here. Oh, yes, sir. Appreciate that. You're up in Columbus right now? Yeah, I'm up in Columbus. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you. And we're going to put the pick in right now, and then we'll be in touch with you later. Holy thank <laughs> <can't> you. appreciate
3: that. <laughs> All, right, <Brett. laughs>
2: All right, We might have to edit thank that you. out on the video, but that's great, man. I'm fired up that you're fired up. <laughs> thank you. Fired up. Thank you.
4: Cofield and Company NFL Insider, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, joins us
1: now. Yeah, that was a weird one. Zach Taylor, the coach of the Bengals, calling up a punter that they drafted in the sixth round, Brad Robbins. And I think at the beginning of the call, Robbins is like, "Uh, this isn't real. And then maybe at the end, he's finally like, oh, wait, this is really the head coach of the Bengals. They really are drafting me. Uh, Fun draft days over the weekend. Miles Simmons is in with us from Pro Football Talk. Miles, how you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you?
1: Those are great, aren't they? The uh, the you know the, the draft is uh, moved along. It's get you know it's getting a little uh, tiresome for some players. It's a punter, and I'm sure when he first picked up, he's like, someone is playing a prank on me.
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, especially as a punter. You know, you just don't necessarily expect to get drafted if you are a punter, even though I think the 49ers chose a kicker yeah. in the third round yes. or something, right? And, and, you know, we had punter and the Patriots picked one, a punter or two. So it, it's interesting. I mean, one of the my favorite things um, from sitting in the Rams draft room for a few years, as I did when I was working for that team, was just seeing the sort of process that was Okay, you know you have the team cameras that are filming, and you have to make sure that you hit record on the phone so that you get the line right, and <laughs> then the GM or coach finally picks up. And then there's also the mechanics of they're making that call, and then finally you kind of have the personnel director who tells the person who is on the phone with the people actually at the draft, okay, turn the card in now. So it, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens when you know you see finally that the player is drafted on television but there's that player has been drafted for probably a good three to five minutes especially once you get to the later rounds when that by the time it finally happens on television.
1: Miles Simmons with us from uh, Pro Football Talk and like Miles said worked with the Rams worked with the Panthers so you've been in these draft rooms and they can be pretty fascinating. Uh, I know you and Peter King talked about the fact that uh, Pete was embedded in the Raiders room. What's the biggest thing you took away from his experience watching the Raiders work their way through the draft.
2: Yeah, I I think it was all who they weren't considering um, with that top pick at number seven. And, you know, Peter's talking about how they had some conversations, maybe all moving up, moving back. But really, they had a group of four players that they wanted, and that's why they wanted three quarterbacks to go before them. And so, basically, what that says to me is, A, they did not really consider a quarterback with that seventh overall pick for whatever reason they just didn't feel like that was the direction that they wanted to go in and maybe they figured that one wasn't going to fall that far for whatever reason and it's not like they didn't do work on these qbs in the draft right we know that they were meeting with them but the other big part of this is that they were not considering jalen carter with that seventh overall pick and i think that, that is somewhat of a surprise just based on the talent level that we all know that he has. But there are some other concerns that played into that. And so for whatever reason, I mean, Jalen Carter fell all the way down to number nine where the Eagles ended up picking him. Who knows if he would have fallen to 10 where they just were in the first place. But, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that they weren't really considering a quarterback and they were not considering Jalen Carter.
3: Speaking with Miles Simmons from Pro Football talk thank you talk. got it right this week Talk yeah. raiders uh-huh. class uh, <laughs> so out of the picks that the raiders did make who do you consider maybe to be the sleeper who will prove to be
2: a worthwhile choice oh that's a good question willie i mean i, I think you know when you're looking at the top two those are the guys that you have to say all right tyree wilson is somebody that they really believe in. Obviously you don't pick him at seven if you don't think that, and they need to get after the quarterback. And that's something that you have to be able to do really in any division, but especially in a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. And we'll see if Russell Wilson or Jarrett Stidham ends up being the quarterback um, when the Raiders play them, the Broncos, the the, top, the couple of times. I mean, I like the pick of Michael Mayer, um, out of Notre Dame. I mean, I, I think that you need a tight end That can become that number one guy, you know, because you have uh, shipped off Darren Waller to the New York Giants. But I mean, look, Aiden O'Connell is somebody that you look at and you say, well, if you draft a guy in the fourth round and he's a quarterback and you want to develop somebody. We saw what Josh McDaniels was able to do with a few years with Jarrett Stidham, right? And he came in and he gave the number one defense in the league in the San Francisco 49ers all they could handle late in that season. If that's something that you can end up doing with an Aiden O'Connell, I mean, that's really what you want, you know? And, And it's not like quarterbacks just grow on trees like that. It, it takes a lot of time and patience and, and developing um, in order for a guy to become a viable quarterback who is drafted in the fourth round. But that's the one guy that I would look at and say, well, if he, they can do what they did with Jarrett Siddham with O'Connell, then you're probably going to be in good shape.
1: Mal Simmons with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. Willie Cofield hanging out at Opportunity Village. Uh, they've got a big Las Vegas Aces event going on for the season ticket holders. I want to go back to Wilson because we we kind of jump ahead like, hey, you know, top pick, of course he's going to come through. Adam Hill was really strong on this yesterday. I'm going to play a comment for you from Adam on the injury front. There were plenty of organizations around the NFL who were like, Tyree Wilson is not worth a top ten pick. We don't know when he's going to play or how much he's going to play. Fire this. There's a, a metric called SACSEER. It's you know, it's an abbreviation for something that's complicated, but I'll just tell you it's pretty solid in terms of – projecting who on the edge is going to play well at the next level. They had him as the eighth-best edge defender uh, before the draft, and so this is not comparing because he went to the Raiders. Before the draft, it said somebody is going to take him in the top ten, and it will be the worst top ten edge pick since Cleveland Furrow. Oh, boy. So (laughs) he got the injury, and then you had people saying that they don't like him as a top ten pick. Some metrics didn't suggest that he's a high-level edge guy I know PFF I think had him overall 26th so there is a little bit of controversy here and then when you add in the whole Jalen Carter thing and I was not into drafting Jalen Carter but this Wilson pick is going to be scrutinized for a while if he's not productive and productive pretty early
2: well yeah but I mean it's the same thing with all first round picks right I mean we're we're talking about um a, a guy that went seventh overall it's not like he was picked in the 20s so there's always going to be some sort of scrutiny there and they're just like there was scrutiny when they overdrafted cleon Furrell and picked him fourth overall i mean like that his rookie year was difficult for him i mean for a number of reasons but Chief among them was when you are drafted that high, there is an expectation level. And I think, you know, the fact that they had three first round picks that year and of course, the um, deadline for fifth year options on that 2019 draft class was today or no excuse me, 2020 draft class. So I'm thinking of it, but you know what I'm saying? They, they, they had three first round picks. They declined the options, the fifth year options on all three of those guys because they weren't very good. And then you have Josh Jacobs who ends up going off this year, but none of, I mean, Jonathan Abram eh, and then Cleon Furl, eh, right? So look, I, I think whenever you're drafted that high, there is some inherent pressure. Now it's up to the Raiders, that coaching staff, Patrick Graham, to put him in the right positions to be the best he can be. And if he doesn't end up being that good, then people get fired right? That, that's just kind of the way the NFL works. So, I mean, I, I don't know. That, that's interesting though. I, I hadn't heard that stat that Adam brought up.
1: Are you with uh, other folks who think that the Eagles just absolutely hit home run after home run the last couple of years?
2: Well, I mean, the results would say yes, at least so far. Um, but it's not like they got that much out of um, that rookie class, especially those rookie defenders last year. Um, if you are talking about those Georgia Bulldogs. But yeah, I think it's easy to like when you see a successful team is drafting players from another successful team, right? I mean, the 2021 Georgia defense was awesome. 2022 Georgia defense was awesome. It makes sense if you are a pro team to draft players um, from that system. Let me jump in for a second.
1: When the Raiders did it repeatedly with Alabama and Clemson players, they got mocked.
2: Yeah, because the Raiders stunk. It's easy to praise it when you just made it to the Super Bowl and somehow you still have a top 10 pick, right? I mean, that that's kind of what we're doing. I, though, I, I, like you, Steve, I mean, I wasn't necessarily all in on drafting somebody like Jalen Carter that high. And part of the reason, and this is interesting to me, is that the Georgia coaches were really not as high as they were with uh, Nolan Smith, um, for instance, as they were with Jalen Carter, right? Just you go look at some of the tweets like from Kirby smart after both of those guys got drafted and you can see just a clear, it's, it's a difference in tone as to the way Kirby Smart addressed one versus the other. And, you know, we reported at pro football talk that kind of on the way out the door, the the Georgia coaches did not necessarily have that much positive to say um, about Jalen Carter. And when something like that happens, that is a red flag. Now going to the Eagles, I think, for Jalen Carter is a good thing, right? I mean, what better situation can you be in for a young defensive tackle than to be in the shadow of Fletcher Cox, right? I mean, that's awesome. That's somebody that you can absolutely learn from. And if I am Jalen Carter, the minute I am get to the uh, Eagles facility for the first time, I'm pulling up next to Fletcher Cox, and I'm gonna be his shadow. Right? That's a team with good veteran leadership. Maybe they'll be able to get him on the right path, but I, I can understand trepidation um, with wanting to go for a guy like Jalen Carter. I can't.
1: So around the NFL, we're doing review of this draft for a few more weeks. This is also the period of time where we start looking ahead to contracts and decisions on franchise tags. And I saw one of your stories today, and, again, we're talking to Miles Simmons right here on ESPN Las Vegas, pro football talk. I The Lions confused me a little bit. I didn't love their draft. Do they need to be talking to Jared Goff about an extension?
2: I don't know. I mean, he's still a contract for the next two years. He's got two years so left. How about, yeah. how about keep playing well and we'll address it in, you know, a year and a half, brother. Right, exactly. And what was interesting, so Brad Holmes was on an interview um, with local Detroit sports station. 97 won the ticket, I believe it is. And, you know, the, the interview's kind of cutting in and out, which is just one of those unfortunate things that happens with phones still in uh, the year of our Lord 2023. But... I, I kind of picked up that story off of some of the beat writers who were tweeting about it. I went and I listened to the whole interview. And at one point, the the, the phone kind of cut off where he said, oh, there have been discussions. And it sounded like he was just pausing. But I ended up getting a note from uh, Detroit Lions PR that's, hey, actually, he used the word internal discussions there. So please correct that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's actually something that needs to be Corrected. And so I don't know if internal discussions means that they really want to start getting something done. Goff's cap hits are in the mid-30s for the next couple of years. Very reasonable for a quarterback, especially a quarterback of his caliber, who is kind of that middle tier quarterback. Um, so I would agree, Steve. I don't know that they really need to be talking about that externally, like with the golf's representation right now. Let's see what happens during this season and after this season and you know, in the year before. Uh, his deal is up, then I think that would make more sense.
1: Yeah, the mission now is to try to get Hendon Hooker ready. If he can play, then you turn back the earnings clock. If he can be at least the same level as Goff, which Goff is, he's, he's resurrected his career. He's, he's rebounded, but uh, that's yes. what I'd be concentrating on. And I also understand from Goff's side, hey, you know what? I want more big money. So um, let me let me go in a different direction here. I, I, I don't, Brian Gutekunst is a weird guy. Uh, he's the GM. <laughs> and, and, and obviously Rodgers did not like him. His comment about Jordan Love and the fifth-year option, he says it's a lot of money for a guy who wasn't played, but at the same time, obviously, we're moving forward with him, so we'll figure that out by Tuesday. And before that, he
2: said, oh, yeah, I've got to figure that out by Tuesday. Like, What What sort of delivery is that? I, I think it was uh, a little bit of an awkward negotiating tactic because then today you get the reporting that uh, they reached a deal with um, Jordan Love through for basically a new two-year contract. And so I, I kind of thought that that's where, reading between the lines, that that's kind of where his mind was doing. And I believe I even mentioned in the story that I wrote about that, that that would be an option as opposed to you utilizing the fifth year option because it is completely guaranteed and it would have been i don't know something like mid-20s that they would have had to pay him all completely guaranteed um now this is sort of a compromise between the two sides where jordan love gets more money up front and more money this year than he would have made otherwise and the team gets some sort of protection basically just in case he stinks so that you know they can if, if he does you know, Say that he sucks up the room and they go 5 and 12, 5 and 13, is it 5 and 12 now? Yes, 5 and 12, that adds 12, up to 17. Yep. Goodness gracious, uh, I can do math. But yeah, if, if he sucks up the room and they go 5 and 12, and they want to trade up to get Caleb Williams and they have some more protection to do that. Um, so I don't think that they anticipate that Jordan love is going to stink, but they needed a little protection to do that and now they've got it. So yeah, I think it was just an odd, awkward negotiating tactic, knowing that they were looking at, uh, having, sign, having Jordan love sign a new contract instead of using that fifth year option.
3: Once again, speaking with Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. So, Miles, I was posed a question today on a different radio show, and I couldn't answer it. I've been just inundated with Golden Knights and Raiders and Aces stuff the last two weeks, and outside of my mental health escape in the gym or hiking, I have not done enough reading on what my Dallas Cowboys did in the draft and if they did good, if they did bad. Zeke's gone, Pollard's up to deck, uh, up up to bat. What can you tell me about my Cowboys?
2: Well, I think that your Cowboys addressed needs, um, and I think that they probably would have liked to have taken um, you know, some, uh, an offensive lineman, if we believe that video that they posted. But I like Mozzie Smith out of Michigan. It's another guy that can really plug up the middle Um, And you need to be able to do that. And and look, in the the division that they're in, um, in the NFC East, you have to be able to stop the run. Look at what Philadelphia does. Look at what the New York Giants do. And, you know, I don't know that we really know what Washington is going to look like under the enemy, but that's a position, I think, a defensive tackle that you had to address. Um, And then they took the tight end out of Michigan in the second round. You know, uh, Shoemaker or Schumacher or whatever. It is, I apologize, Luke, I believe is his first name, but you know, you needed a tight end um, after Dalton Schultz. And so that's something that they had to really address. And I think that that's a good thing too. So I I think the Cowboys did all right. And whenever you pick up a guy like Deuce Vaughn in the sixth round, those are the running backs to me that can really make a difference. Those guys that are low drafted and then go to a team that's already a contender and kind of already has some built-in structure Already. So if you put Deuce Vaughn with Tony Pollard, like that's a good one two punch. And that's something that the, the Cowboys have done with Zeke and Tony Pollard before. Um, and we'll see if Zeke comes back now because really there's no market for him, you know, as a free agent right now. So that, that's something interesting, I guess, to monitor as well.
3: Is there a team that wowed you enough to where before the draft, their they're, they're positioning in their division? looked bleak but it wowed you enough to say oh wait a minute they can make a move
2: you know i i guess it would be the texans and it's not even that i think that the texans are going to win the afc south i I don't but i think if cj stroud and uh will anderson work out so that both of those guys are offensive defensive rookie of the year types then, I mean, maybe the Texans can finish around 500, you know, nine and eight and sneak into that seventh spot. I, like I said, I don't, I don't really believe that they are contenders. The Jaguars, I think we all kind of feel should be able uh, to command that division. Um, but I, I just, I liked the way that Nick Casario was aggressive in getting two potential cornerstones for his franchise. And, and in picking um, CJ Stroud's second overall, basically eliminated his competition to trade up for that third overall pick, and then you're able to get Will Anderson to the best edge player in the draft, but if you believe whatever metrics you believe. Um so those things to me, when you have a quarterback and a big edge rusher, that can really change the course of your franchise. So I, I like the way that Casario did that and who knows, maybe it does set the Texans on the right path.
1: Miles, great job. We're going to be playing some uh, Peter King bites in about 15 minutes, go over uh, more of that embedded stuff as he uh, hung out with the Raiders. So we appreciate your time, appreciate your feedback on uh, Peter King. Have a great week. Absolutely. You guys too. There he is, Miles Simmons. Enjoying the NBA playoffs, by the way. Go follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Giveaway time. Four-pack, Reggae in the Desert, coming up this Saturday, 11 a.m. Doors open, Caribbean food, music, plenty of drinks. Clark County Government Amphitheater. You can buy your tickets at reggaeinthedesert.com he has got a four-pack right now for Reggae in the Desert. Caller seven three six four one one zero zero.
4: Listen to Coe and Company in the press box all week long for your chance to win tickets to Reggae in the Desert Saturday, May 6th at the Clark County Government Amphitheater. For more info or to purchase tickets, go to com. Yeah, we lost
1: Willie. He's on the train. <laughs> yep, he's on the t- Oh, he's here. Well, I
3: was looking for a date.
1: There you go. Middle of the show. Some pretty good uh, dating app conversation. Good setup here by Angel. Teo helping out as well. ESPN Las Vegas on the road. Here is Opportunity Village. Big season ticket holder event for fans of the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, NBA right now. Latest update. Boy, it's weird the way the playoffs are unfolding. And it's kind of happened the last couple years, so I guess we should be used to it. With the injuries and kind of that whole war of attrition. And now the Sixers storyline is, is Embiid going to play or not? Because it sounds like he's got a pretty serious injury. Or are they playing games and this is a smoke screen, and he just needed a couple games off? Um, Jimmy Butler ruled out of tonight's game, right? Hey, he's not playing. Uh, and right now the Heat on the road, right? They're they're 1-0 in hand. And I'm guessing the rationale was, hey, we're in good shape now. Jimmy, take a rest. They're up 8 they're up 46-38 with three minutes left in the half. What a friggin' disaster for the Knicks. If they can't hold serve on one game at home and the Heater missing their best player.
3: It's been the storyline across the board when a player, when a team is missing their best player, they seem to play their best basketball as we're seeing them come together collectively, somebody stepping up. It's where we're seeing the depth come to play.
1: But can you do that for an entire series? No. It's sort of, it's sort no. Of the, uh, you no. know, we, we talked um, often in years past about betting football games. You know, rally for one game, right? Behind the back of a quarterback, everyone's out, you know much more focused. Hey, we don't have our guy. We all got to step up. Can you do that and win a series? Can the Sixers win a series?
3: No, and I don't. You know, I. From what I understand, it's more than just a sprained ankle. Um, the, it's, they had said that it had gotten as big as a golf ball. It had really blown up. I mean, you see that during a game, Steve. They take the shoe off, and it immediately – that's why they try to – they always leave it on. They always tell us, don't, don't take it off, don't take it off. Leave it compressed. But apparently it's, it's a pretty bad sprained ankle, and it's blown up. Um, but, I, you know, can I throw
1: this in here, too, when we talk about the NBA, and sometimes people question toughness and durability. You do realize in the, the history of the National Basketball Association, the guys who get hurt the most often are the bigs.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm
1: stating the obvious. They're massive human beings. Generally, they're going to have knee and ankle and foot issues. And you know, while Joel, Joel Embiid is, you know, he's trying, he's also a dude who's seven foot and near 300 pounds. Um, you know, go back and look at some of the greatest big men in history. A lot of them fought injuries, and that's why the ones who didn't, who were Iron Men, are the greatest ever, because they didn't. Like Kareem, rarely got hurt bill walton always got hurt it's a so i'm not i'm not here now. to call Embiid, you know a big pansy or something no, he's no. a he's a massive being. which by the way brings us to a guy who's not exactly a workout warrior but has been incredibly durable and again we see it last night i'm watching denver and phoenix and man there is no one more awkward looking in terms of a superstar than nicole jokic He is just, it's like off the wrong foot, weird steps. But what does he do often? He finishes. Like, he's not, I don't think the guy can jump over a friggin' cell phone. He's grabbing rebounds. You know, he's out playing Aiton. He was awesome in that game last night. And the Suns had no answer. And then on the flip side, Willie, I don't know how much of the game you watched. There are times when you watch the Suns and you're like, guys, you know Kevin Durant's on your team. Especially to Booker,
3: he check, bro.
1: Sometimes,
3: throw throw the ball to Durant. Well, that's the problem. Sometimes with having too many scorers, and then all of a sudden you lose your your point. So okay, well, who's taking over the offense? Who's and you, you, loo- look like you lose? They look
1: they look terrible in the fourth, and ball movement was awful. And that's another one now. You know that and that it's the story with the Suns. Every time they seem to be loaded up, you're still relying on a guy who's, you know, late 30s, who's hurt often. I mean, did that – you know, we're not doctors. Did that, well, did that groin look to
3: you like Chris Paul's going to be 100% ever again in this series? No, but here's the thing is it's a bad injury, and we get it, but we talked about this last week when we were at the BBC. They're playing – what's been the most consistent basketball team in the NBA this entire season. But there's no flash. There's no pizzazz. There's no off-court drama to bring headlines. They've just quietly been getting it done, and they've been more consistent. The Eastern Conference has been, you've seen the storylines up and down, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston, Brooklyn with all their issues, but there's been different number ones. Denver's been a top the entire time. So, They're also up against it, against what's been the most consistent team. So it's going to be tough to overcome.
4: Cofield and company will be right back. Keep it here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM.
1: Get your Aces tickets. Individual tickets are on sale now. Aces.wnba.com. We're out at the big Aces season ticket holder event here at Opportunity Village. The uh, train is making the rounds around Magical Forest. So, pretty cool angle. Peter King got to hang with the Raiders during the draft weekend. Gave some pretty good insight. Uh, We got a couple of clips from the conversation he had for about 20 minutes this morning on our sister station, Raider Nation Radio 920. Um, Here he is talking about kind of how the board worked out in that first round as uh, they had pinpointed four players and were just hoping there was a run early on quarterbacks.
5: The Raiders... Really didn't love these quarterbacks this year. Just signed Jimmy Garoppolo. We're never going to take a quarterback. What happened in this case is that the Raiders had four guys. McDaniels basically said, we need three quarterbacks to go in the first six picks. Even if three of their guys got picked, and Willie Anderson was one of them, they knew that they had one of their guys left, and that was Tyree
3: Wilson.
1: So on the front end of that, that's exactly what Adam Hill told us about two months ago, that... The Raiders really only liked Stroud, and they really, really, really liked Bryce Young. Now, would they be willing to trade up for him? That probably wasn't going to happen, but that there wasn't much interest in Levis. Not much interest in Richardson. Interest in Hooker, but you know what? They had a chance to take Hooker on multiple occasions, and they decided to skip on it at least uh, twice. But the the part that I think uh, caught everyone's attention there is, while we all talked about the decision to make, you know, talent versus character with Jalen Carter, it doesn't sound like the Raiders had him in the mix of the four guys. They didn't. So it was going to be Devin Witherspoon. It's going to be Tyree Wilson. Carter was not going to be included in that group. And I, right. we don't have any confirmation on this, and maybe he'll just say it himself. Uh, I don't believe that Mark Davis would have allowed that to happen. I think that was his call.
3: Right, and I – I think character is a big thing right now um, carrying over for the last couple of years, but I think that that's a major, that was a major intangible. And, and, and I think everybody, you know, all teams, they did their due diligence, including the Raiders and bringing the players in including Carter and interviewing and, and getting, getting the lay of the land as far as what they wanted to do uh, when they got to Kansas city. But I think that they, they knew exactly what the needs that they wanted to, to fit. And I think that based on the way that those quarterbacks felt early on and what was left, they did exactly. I think they. I think they did exactly what they really deep down wanted to do. Like I feel as if this was. I feel, and I said this this morning on Raider Nation Radio. I feel this was the first time in, and of course this is the second year with this regime. This is the first time since we've been covering these Raiders, even that final season up in Oakland, that we really felt as if the GM and the coach put their heart and soul into doing what fit best for the team's needs not just to satisfy their own ego thinking they were right they did what they felt was right for the team not what was right for in their minds if that makes sense so
1: Good. you're saying the this is the first duo that's worked together no. That we're on the same page?
3: Uh, well, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I just feel as if in the past, like, like you know, we're scratching our heads in years past with what Gruden did and 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 Mayock, and we're wondering, well, would they, were they beating their chest, going, "No, I'm right. I'm going to prove everyone wrong. This is the guy. This is my guy." I just don't think that. I don't think that they looked at needs over their ego in trying to prove that they knew what they were doing with how they dissected the draft. Whereas these guys did their due diligence and they fit the needs of this team accordingly based on who was available and and how they had it laid out.
1: So the Raiders liked Tyree Wilson a lot. Peter King gave a good story about hanging out with the guys during the draft weekend. And uh, another thing that kind of clinched it for him after they picked Tyree Wilson in terms of his, uh, his work ethic and uh, the guy's pretty humble.
5: And what it told them, this is a really competitive guy. He's a really athletic guy and performs well under pressure. One other thing they really liked about Wilson at the end, when he decided to come into Vegas the next day, Team sent a private plane. All their family comes. Everything like that. He said to the Raiders, "Look, this is a business trip. I'm just coming alone. I just want to get my my iPad or whatever they use. I just want to meet everybody, and I want to get I want to get going. I want to get to work." But that just told the Raiders that we got the right ethos as well as the right player in Tyree Wilson. And look, we're not going to know whether this foot injury is an issue for a while. I had long conversations with the surgeon who did it, Robert Anderson. Uh, And I think they see who's done a lot of NFL players in his life. And I think they feel like he's going to be okay.
1: So there you go. Peter King on Raider Nation Radio 920 this morning, talking about Tyree Wilson and some of the extra things that he did to impress Raiders brass. This is a market that demands winning and the aces along with VGK have kind of set the tone here. And Kelsey Plum is in with Willie and myself, Steve Cofield. What's going on? It's a cool event.
0: Oh man, it's great to be here. Great to be back in Vegas the people, man, just we're the best fans. It's super exciting.
3: So the the last time I saw Kels was <laughs> the home opener for the Vipers. Mm-hmm. She was there for Danny. Mm-hmm. We got we got to talking, and uh, you and Darren were there for the for the home opener. Uh-huh. It was cool to see you, and obviously now. Uh, There's a little bit of change in both y'all's lives, so congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. But I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, we're gonna be out there and if Kelsey the first time I ever covered something in a social setting with Kelsey Plum, she walks into a community center. It was do you remember the and and there was the young kid that was getting cocky and you swatted his (laughs) ball. But as we were walking in, I, I said I said, you know, when you go to a social event and Kelsey Plum walks in, you have to think about kit game. So I wore my Yeezys today, and she was like, "Oh <laughs> snap!" So I said, "In case we see Kelsey, I got to put the Elevens on."
0: Oh, okay. it was it was it, okay. it, it, it was a determination <laughs> w-
3: w- whether that or have you seen the new McQueens? Because I got a new pair of McQueens the other day, and I was okay. like, Do I wear? "But I didn't know if it was going to be dusty or windy." But just so you know, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna run into you socially, the kick game is on my mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. The I mean, queens are tough. I'm glad you didn't wear them because you'll get mad blisters with those things. So. Yeah. Oh, and and the tongue di- dips into the into the butt. You know, you
3: got. I they're all royal blue. I'm gonna show you a picture off the air when we get off of the red ones. I'm going to pick up. Okay. So I'm, I might save them for the home opener for y'all.
0: I love that.
3: So let's talk. Uh, this is this is. Th- you know, we got to talk about the facility. We got to mm-hmm. start with the facility. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna just let you take it away.
0: I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's much to say here. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, you know, it's just a testament to Mark Davis and his investment in us. And you know, as you can see, you know, we've obviously been on this journey and just been continuing to grow. And when you invest in women, it pays off. And you can see. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And you know, we're. We're like the privileged children of the WNBA right now, you know? Everyone, Everyone's looking at us, and not that they even had more reasons to be pissed, but they're definitely pissed now. Right,
3: but at the same token, they should be appreciative, Kels, because here's the thing. Mark Davis has been out front since he bought this team in yeah. terms of what needs to be done, chartered flights, treating ladies first class, right? So as he is setting standards, it should send a message to other organizations. Don't be pissed. Hey, follow their lead.
0: You know, I agree, and you set the tone. I think you see other franchises doing similar things, you know, Josiah in New York and, you know, Phoenix, I think, has always been, you know, with new, uh, you know, ownership and leadership there on the men's side and obviously on the women's side. Um, I th- there's a lot of great things brewing in our league, um, but it's it's about having the league being held accountable um, for the entirety, you know. We don't, we don't want to sit and not allow everyone – Uh, the same opportunities but you got there's people on the bottom that we got to continue to you know move up so but it's it's, you're right I mean I feel like it's kind of a you know we're growing. We're taking steps. There's a train out here. I didn't even know this. I, I, I was like, what is that sound? And then all of a sudden, there's a train right here. I even lost my concentration. That's awesome. Wow.
3: Speaking of WNBA champ, All-Star MVP, Kelsey Plum. So a lot of movement in the WNBA in the offseason. Of course, the Liberty stacking up. Y'all bring in Candace Parker. Um Phoenix Mercury gets PG back. How excited are you for the league in terms of how how much, like there's no there hasn't been necessarily trash talk yet, but in terms of like everybody ramping up, hey, what, Aces have a target on their back and everybody getting ready to sort of get into competition mode.
0: I mean, we're excited. I mean, Candace Parker's on our team. Uh, it's one of the greatest players to ever play. You know, so adding her to our roster, Alicia Clark, I think will be really big for us too. That's someone that people don't talk about enough, but she's going to help us tremendously i mean honestly we're not really focused about anyone else but ourselves in a good way you know when we take care of business and we're as good as we can be everything else will will flow uh
3: the person that i'm looking forward to seeing the most and i was excited to see her as a rookie last year but she had a phenomenal year with athletes unlimited is kirsten bell Mm -hmm. Um, i cannot wait to see what How that transpires Because as you know I was covering the Athletes Unlimited And when the the teams That came to visit The Aces last year I was doing spot stories The big thing That I was hearing About Lexi Brown Dejanate Carrington Odyssey Sims Was how Athletes Unlimited Brought their confidence level I know it's only been A couple of days But KB I
0: mean KB's a hooper KB is like You turn the lights on And she's a bucket She's just somebody That uh, loves to play And so you can't Really teach that When the lights come on She just gets better um, there's not that's like a rare skill set to find. Um, so I know that KB, she might not play for 10, 15 minutes. She's gonna sub in. She's gonna op- be open and knock down the shot. And that's something that you can't teach.
3: Well, get your season tickets. Get to see the Las Vegas Aces right now. They're leading the WNBA with fifty two hundred seats. A phenomenal event out here at Opportunity Village and Magical Forest. We got a crowd around. This is the biggest crowd we've had
0: around <laughs> us because KP's in the house. <laughs>
3: Hey,
1: before we get you out of here, and Kelsey Plum's with us, I'm sure you've been paying attention to some of the the chatter that came uh, around the uh, national title game and the women's tournament. And I heard Angel Reese last week say she was kind of in on the whole, hey, WNBA needs to step up, and almost suggested, like, hey, you know what? If they don't treat us right, you know, the the, the next stars, that we could just not play in the WNBA. What would you tell them about the benefits of playing professional basketball here? Because we know NIL and a lot of the stuff that goes on online, they can make a lot of money. I still think they need to play basketball here. But what would you tell them? What would be your advice?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I would say, first of all, I don't think they're wrong. I think that, you know, there's a new generation that are paving, like, different type of territory we've never seen. I mean, some of the highest NIL makers are female college basketball players. Um, You know, we're growing. And, you know, by 2025, uh, you know, there'll be – there's a lot of TV talks, a lot of uh, broadcasting stuff going on, possibly a new CBA thing. So, I mean, listen, uh, they're making money, but there are people in the W that make money, too. And a lot of them are on our team. So they can say, <laughs> they can say what they want about that, but there's definitely opportunity at the next level. Obviously, you got to continue to perform, but... Um, I mean, you know what? It's just kind of a step at a time. But we're really excited about what they're doing in the college space, and I don't think that's going to go unnoticed when they become pros.
1: And who doesn't want to challenge themselves against the best? Um, yeah. I thought the other great storyline that came out of it, and it's publicity. I don't, I don't care about the negativity, <laughs> the trash talk stuff yeah. between the two of them. Yeah. Um, I, I actually – I said on the air, I actually think if you're outraged by that, you're almost kind of sexist. Like, women are competitive. They will, t- they
3: will talk trash. What is wrong with it?
0: I mean, if people put a mic in a WNBA game, they'd be shocked. It'd be f- like Who was draw- it <laughs> Jaws would hit the floor. Who was
3: it last season? And you, it was at the, at, at, uh, here it was a home game and you went, it was against the Dallas wing and you popped up real quick and then afterwards you just,
0: oh, that was, it? that was, uh, here comes this train again. Yeah. Uh, uh that was Ariel Powers. aerial Powers, that's it. But like, I mean, that- on any given night, there are people saying outlandish things. Oh, so it's not like when I, when I saw that, I laughed because I'm like, wow, they they have no idea. Right, and that's be- okay.
3: Before we let you go, who's the biggest trash talker in the league?
0: Diana Tarazi, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> she says, F your pizza. Every time I miss twice, goes like, S F your pizza.
3: All right, Kelsey Plump, thank you for joining us. We we'll always appreciate KP season right around the corner. Thank you for joining us. the WNBA champ. All-star MVP, Kelsey Plum. Thanks, guys.
1: On the way back, we'll get into the grab bag. Miss any of the
4: show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcast to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place.
1: Stick your hand in there, Dave. All right, folks still pouring in. Don't mean to make it sound matter-of-fact. It's pretty impressive. Uh, Nice crowd is showing up here for the Aces season ticket holder event. At Opportunity Village, one of the legendary places here in town. A tremendous charity. So when you get a chance, when this facility is back open for the holidays, make sure to come out and check out the Magical Forest. And as you can tell, um, they do host events You know, during the offseason. It's off season. cool. It is really cool. I didn't
3: realize that they – I knew that they didn't take a lot of it down because it's so much – I mean, the, the, the Christmas setup. But I didn't realize that they hosted events. I guess you could host your corporate party here.
1: I will have to find a way to get us out here – Hopefully, we'll have decent weather in December. We got to be out here for a day in December
3: with hot cocoa.
1: Okay with hot cocoa,
3: sure. Do you remember the day that you and Big Mac and Adam were frigid it was cold. in front of the Golden Knights? I wasn't yep. anywhere part of the you I I wasn't actually Isn't that nuts? I wasn't even welcome on the show or anywhere near you guys. That was that must have been a but regular that must have been a regular season game. It was. I was in, like, driving, or something. Yeah, in, I was driving into to, to from and, and all I heard was all you guys basically I could hear the teeth chattering between talks and I stopped at a Starbucks and grabbed a bunch of hot cocos and dropped them off. Were you on the
1: yeah. That was awesome. I appreciate that. Looking yeah. back on it,
3: I think I. That's when you that were day. still you were still kind of a grump with kinda, me. I kind of scoffed at you. you. Still looked down on me. That's not true. Yeah, it's
1: not true. I was going to say something that sounded really obnoxious, but I refrained from saying <laughs> it. Like, like I always thought you had great potential, Willie. That's a compliment. You were wrong. I actually i I think there are dozens of people we could have on Cofield and Company as regulars who who can all be good radio people, but. But we do have some restrictions. But I'm glad you're part of the mix now and you've been for a while. And you were joking earlier about uh, if you're still here in December, uh, You know, if I'm around, then you'll still be here. But, yeah, Kelsey Plum just stopped by the set. And awesome. you can see the crowd building behind her. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Um, and we see it with the Raiders. We see it with Vegas Golden Knights. We get desensitized to it because we're lucky enough to be out covering all these things. And we're in press conferences and we're just a few feet away from all these stars of, uh, major league and professional sports in vegas but you when you see fans get a chance to meet and greets like this it really is cool and there's a ton of kids out here yep. you know the parents are fired up because their kids are happy so well, real really nice event they put together
3: and you mentioned it to KP about winning teams and, and sort of to grow the affection with, from the the town. But I think beyond that with the Aces and the Golden Knights, we talked about it earlier with Marty Cordova, Was is the organic build of fans. Yeah. And I think that's I important. I was there at the,
1: the, the beginning games. when there yeah. were only, yeah. you know, 1,500 people at an Aces game. And now it's going to be a tough ticket to get this year.
3: Yeah, And I don't think that a lot of people st- – I don't think people – associate the aces with san antonio anymore maybe in san antonio they root for the aces but las vegas this is their team so
1: we're playing some cuts from a good raider nation radio 920 conversation that's one of our sister stations peter king was on uh pete was embedded for much of the weekend with the raiders during their draft and he got to see the war room and um i I thought this was a weird part of the story i want to see what your reaction is because i'm i'm very cynical at times and you, you're around Ziegler more than I have been. Uh, King started to tell a story about he, he's walking near Dave Ziegler, the GM of the Raiders, and Ziegler stops at a, a big photo of Al Davis.
5: Ziegler that afternoon passed big, huge portrait. There's a picture of it in my column of Al Davis right outside the draft room. When Ziegler was passing it, he put his hand on it, and he patted it, and he just stopped for a minute. I passed this, and I get goosebumps. He said, I understand what the job is. He, he said, I think we're both able to make decisions without worrying about the public perception of those
3: decisions.
1: So the second part was he admired Al Davis. Al, Al Davis did what Al Davis was going to do, mm-hmm. right? He trusted his his judgment on players, and he was going to draft who he wanted to draft, and, and Ziegler says he's confident in in doing that. Um, I'm glad to hear that he understands, you know, what he's facing here, and, and The legacy. Does that get a little too cheesy for you? No. It does not. Like do you feel that vibe around the Raiders?
3: I just feel that vibe in general with organizations, you know, where there there's gotta be I would imagine with every organization there's there's a there's a figure, but in terms of iconic for the actual league or sport or whatever, like for instance. I feel that a lot of people should appreciate the Jerry Tarkanian statue in front of the Thomas and Mack Center. I don't know am I going by and touching the bald head or, or 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 the towel that he's chewing on, but it's the same respect. Like when Kevin Krueger goes to work and he sees that statue, he's got to understand, especially with who his father is, who you know in some respect is a legend, right? As a coach, I mean, he was a, su- a successful coach. So in the same respect, the the the. Al Davis is an icon to not just the Raider organization, but to the NFL. Just like Jerry Tarkini was to college basketball. So I I, I'm, I don't think it's cheesy at all. In the bag? Stick your hand in there, Dave.
1: So that said, we don't have to be serious all the time. Does there have to be a certain level of respect when you're in sports, the way you operate, the way you run a college football program? I know you saw the story with Dion Sanders saying that he's ashamed of the NFL after drafting only one HBCU player. Wait, so this is the same Deion Sanders who's worried about the NFL and the respect that's being shown to HBCU who called players from his Colorado program going into the transfer portal used furniture. How do you mesh the two? Wait, so we're going to be respectful sometimes, but we're going to act like a clown at others because well, you're trying to play for the crowd or play for a radio show?
3: Yeah, I think, he. you know, sour grapes in, in, in one respect and – you know, playing it up on the other. I mean, it's where he got his coaching start. So,
1: and that's the way he operated as a player. So, and some people are going to be attracted. Boisterous. to Boisterous. Yeah, some people are. And parents are going to be attracted to that. Some players. They've landed a you know a few more Power Five transfers. Um, they've also had a few guys that didn't sound like he talked too much and kind of just ruled them out automatically, Willie, because they were the one in eleven guys. Yeah. Who actually landed at Power Five programs, much better programs in Colorado. So I'm fascinated to see what happens here over the next couple weeks. Thank you so much to the Aces and Opportunity Village for hosting the show and uh, our big boss, Natalie, for hooking us up with the setup here. Mateo, great job setting up. Angel as well. Check out the archives of the show at lbsportsnetwork.com.